I remember a time not too long ago um, where we used to be able to go to these things called concerts. I know, right? Concerts. You know those things where you go and you attend and you watch a band play music? And hopefully, maybe, maybe it's just me, but it's, <clears throat> it's an experience that you go to with maybe your friends or family. And, and hopefully, as you do it, you enjoy the music, right? Hopefully, you can enjoy the experience. Do you remember your favorite concert? Or do you remember, like, what made it so memorable, so fun? Do you remember that experience? Do you remember gathering with people and feeling the energy in the room? It's interesting to me that as I remember some concerts that I've gone to in my life that it was this moment, right, where you get your tickets and you, you basically for us, it was, I remember this concert and it was with all my buddies and we piled into my buddy's mom's like big van, right? And there was like 12 of us. So we packed this thing and we drove down and, and we get there and we park and parking prices are outrageous, and, and so we're like, you know, we're, we were college students at the time, so we're like figuring out like, all right, it costs this much. Okay, that means everybody, we don't do math. Everybody just give like $3, and I think it might cover it. We don't know. And so we just hand over all these money to this guy, and he's like, yeah, whatever. You guys are good. Just go in. We're like, great. And we go into the, the auditorium and the arena, and, and you go, and you find your seat, and you have your ticket, and the first thing you do is you look for your seat, right? And you have to see how good of a seat you really have. But then after you find your seat, most of the time, these, these concerts or, or events, you don't stay at your actual assigned seat. If you're a good rule follower, you do. But for those of us who are not great at rule following, we most definitely don't. And even in some of these concerts, there's these areas out front that it's just wide open. And it's literally for people just to flood towards the stage. You know what I'm talking about, right? And you can feel that energy. You can feel the buzz as you are literally so squished together. And you're just ready to go. You're excited. You feel the, the bass pumping in the speakers. You can feel the drums as they kick the drums. You can feel the snares and the cymbals as they crash. You can hear the electric guitar just going. You feel the energy. And it's not enough. It's not enough to just stay in your seat sometimes. You have to get closer to the action. But what's interesting to me is lately it seems like most of these concerts, some of these newer concerts even, you can pay extra to have a special time afterwards or before with the band. This meet and greet time. You guys have heard that, right? Meet and greet time. It's this moment where you literally pay a ton of money extra to have 30 seconds to say, oh my word, I love your music so much. Oh, picture, click, and then you move along. And you just paid like double the ticket price for that 30 seconds of, ah, picture. Right? Y'all get me on that, okay? Okay, so like, we want to be closer to them. 
We, it's not enough to stay in our seats. It's not enough to just stay put. We want to be in right next to them. And for me, like I love music, I love concerts, but I, I, I've also enjoyed going to different events. I've gone to different conferences, different things like that, and there's certain speakers that if I see them in the lineup, I will do whatever it takes to get close. One of them, you're going to see this picture. So this guy right here, this guy, this is my homie, man. This is my dude, this is my bro, this is Bob Goff. Me and Bob go way, way back. He doesn't know it, but we go way, way back, okay? We're like, we're besties, besties. And this, con- this, this event we are at, Bob Goff was one of the, the keynote speakers there. And I remember seeing him on the list, and I was like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get close to Bob Goff. And so we, we went through this whole entire session, and he's speaking. And I'm sitting there, like, total fangirling, right? Like, oh, my gosh, he's so good. Like, Josh and Sarah are next to me, and I'm like, oh, my word. Did you hear what he just said? That is so tweetable. And I'm, like, tweeting everything, right? Bob Goff. We're like homies. But here's what I love about Bob. Here's what I absolutely love about Bob. I love how much passion Bob has. I I love how much passion Bob has. You see, Bob loves people. If you read any of his books, if you listen to him speak, it's something so clear. Bob loves people. Bob shares this story often, and it's in a few of his different books, but one of these stories, he loves people so much that he and his wife have a, a place on, on a river. And they'll go and they'll sit on their balcony for a whole afternoon. And what Bob will do is before they go out on their balcony, he runs to the store and he grabs this huge bag of saltwater taffy. And as they're sitting there, you can, I, I love this, right? They're sitting there and Bob, and his wife's name is Maria, and, and Bob and Maria, they're sitting there. And they're talking, and these kayakers or tubers are going down the water. And they're, they're going crazy. Oh, hi, how you doing? They're like, they love people. And Bob loves people so much, he gets out his slingshot. I wish I was joking. It's awesome. And he gets up, and he, like, gets a saltwater tap with a slingshot. And, like, you want candy? Great. I was going to do that this morning, but I thought we might be a little too close for me to slingshot saltwater taffy at y'all. But Bob loves people. He loves making them smile. He loves bringing joy in life. Bob loves people, but Bob also loves God. And he loves God passionately. To hear Bob talk about his love for God, ooh, it's contagious. You see, Bob passionately pursues and chases God. And it's, it's totally obvious in his life. He loves God deeply. And Bob, simply put, just Bob loves love. Bob loves love. If you have an opportunity to ever understand and listen or or read through some of his books, you can start to understand who Bob is because of what he has done in life and how he loves love and loves God. This is a guy who is trained in law. 
But instead of practicing law here, he decides to go practice law overseas to fight for injustice, to fight for the vulnerable, to fight for those who are maybe casted aside. I love that about Bob. I love that my friend Bob is, is this guy who passionately loves deep, deeply. If I'm being honest with you, Bob is a guy who I hopefully one day aspire to be somewhat like. A guy who passionately loves, passionately chases, and fights for things in life that matter. But you see, for me, I didn't want to be around the people who were just around Bob. I wanted to be close to Bob. Isn't that beautiful? I wanted to be close to Bob. I didn't want to just be simply around him. I didn't want to be simply around the people who were around Bob. I wanted to be close to God. I wanted the picture. I wanted the chance to shake his hand and to tell him, like, thank you for how you live, how you lead. Thank you. I wanted to be close to him, but I often wonder, I often wonder if this is the same posture when it comes to Jesus with us. Or what about the church? Are we just simply content? Have we just simply settled to be around the people who are around Jesus? Have we simply settled to be around the people who are around Jesus? Like, is this just good enough? Or are we striving, are we chasing, are we pursuing, and are we seeking to be near, close to, and fight next to be Jesus himself? Are we content with just being in the crowd? We're close enough. We're comfortable in the crowd. But are we settling? Because we're not choosing to be right next to Jesus himself. I want to talk to you about a reality that is pretty simple to understand, I think. And here it is. It isn't enough to be around the people who are around Jesus. You need to be around Jesus. You need to be right next to him. It isn't enough to be around the people who are around Jesus. You need to be around Jesus himself. And I think that if we examine our hearts, examine our, our postures and our souls and our spirits, I think that we maybe have just discovered that in some ways in our lives, Maybe, just maybe, we have actually chosen to settle to be around the people rather than Jesus himself. And that's not a place I want to be in. I want to be next to Jesus. And here's the reality. Is, here's a simple way, maybe, a reality that we have settled this. Well, I go to church, Kyle. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's really good. But going to church once a week is not enough to continue to fight to be close to Jesus so that you are right next to him. I don't want to just be standing and have Jesus over here and just be standing right here being like, look, I'm close. I want to be right next to him. I want to fight to be right next to him. And going to church once a week may not be enough. 
You need to dig in. We need to press, press in. We need to dive into his presence every single day, every single hour that we can. It's not enough just to be close. I want to be right next to him. And I think that there's a story in the, in the book of Luke that demonstrates this. It's a beautiful story because it's about a man in his heart to be next to Jesus rather than just be close to the people around him. If you have your Bible or if you have your glow-in-the-dark Bible, also known as a phone, go on and open it up to Luke chapter 18 with me. This is where we're going to be today. We're going to hang out in Luke 18. Luke 18, and this is what it says, and uh, as you guys keep find it, um, take notes in it. I, I'm telling you right now, take notes in it. These notes are so great that you can go back and look at, and, and I'm positive, I'm positive that somewhere down the road, God might speak to you by the note you take today, hopefully. So, uh, verse 35, this is where we're going to start, 35 through 38. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. When he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked what was happening. And they told him that Jesus, the Nazarene, was going by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Let's break this down. Jesus and the crew, Jesus and the homies, uh, they're going, they're on the road, and they're passing through Jericho to get to Jerusalem. Okay? And now this is a, a pretty widely and heavily traveled road. This is a place that you would probably find many beggars. Why? Because this is the highest traveled road to get to Jerusalem, which means a lot of people are going to travel it in the time of, of a lot of the festivals. It's heavy traffic because these are major cities. So beggars and even tax collectors would stand on these roads and be and set up shop on these roads because they knew that this is the highest probability of getting some extra money, possibly. So if you're a beggar, here this blind man is. He's, it says he's a beggar. And so he's asking for money. This is a road he probably has sat on for many, many days and years. People have seen him before. In the city of Jericho, on the way to Jerusalem, here this man sits. And he asks a simple question, what's going on? And they answer, ah, Jesus, the Nazarene, is passing by. And notice something, though. Notice here, okay? Can you throw that back up, okay? I'm sorry. They told him, the people tell him, Jesus, the Nazarene. Remember that, Jesus, the Nazarene. Remember that name that they give, okay? Okay? Because there's something interesting about this. We're going to come back to that as, as we continue to look at this. In the Gospel of Mark, it tells us that this blind man's name is Bartimaeus. Today, we're going to call him Bart. Just because I want to call him Bart. Um, and so it's intriguing here that Bart is sitting there and they tell him, Jesus the Nazarene is passing by. So he hears that, blind, remember that, blind. And then he starts to cry out. And look at what he calls Jesus. He doesn't say, Jesus the Nazarene. 
He says, Jesus, what? Woo! Son of David. That is a messianic terminology. This is a term that means this, this blind man, Bart, knows that Jesus is the Messiah. He's given him high praise, high power. And he cries out. He cries out, Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And here's what's so intriguing. In verse 38, he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 39, those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. So what does he do? He shouts even louder. Shouts even louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Here's something that's interesting. In verse 38, it's this loud, ordinary shout to attract attention. You know those ones? This is like the shout of like, I am picture this, of like a shout of like my mom when little Kyle did something bad. It was like, Kyle? But it was like, you know that moment where your parents use your middle name? Y'all, we have some kids here. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? When mom or dad use your middle name, man, you better come running. It's this ordinary shout that he says, I want the attention of Jesus. But then they rebuke him. So he shouts louder. Verse 39, it tells us that it, it, this, this tone, this shout changes. It's almost this instinctive cry one theologian puts it of an ungovernable emotion, a scream or even like an animal-like cry. This is the cry of maybe that little child who can't seem to find mom and dad in a busy store. This is that cry of a baby who is in deep pain and just needs some comforting. This is a different tone than the first time he cries out to God. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he uses these, these terms of Jesus, son of David, this messianic terminology. He's recognizing, even though he is blind, he cannot see Jesus, he recognizes who Jesus is. And here's what's interesting is, is hear me on this, just because you can't see Jesus doesn't mean he can't see you. Just because you can't see Jesus in the moment doesn't mean he can't and he doesn't see you. Here he is on the side of the road crying out to Jesus. Let's, let's picture this, right? Jesus in the crowd, all, he has his crew with him. And they're traveling in this road. So you can understand it's pretty busy. It's crowded. And it says he's shouting for Jesus. And they rebuke him. Basically saying, stop. Jesus is busy. Stop. There's a crowd around him. Stop. Just stop. And, and he's sitting there. And he just wants to be close to Christ. And here's what's so interesting is, is Bart couldn't see Christ in that moment. But yet he trusted that Christ could see him and could hear him in that moment. Above all the noise, above all the shouts, above all the chaos, he trusted that Christ could hear him and see him even above all of that. Why? Because he wants to be closer to God. He wants to be closer to Jesus than where he is at right now. And I love what happens in verse 40 and 41. Listen to it. 
So this is after the second cry of, Son of David, have mercy on me. It says this, Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do? Hold up, let's just be honest here. In the middle of the walk, Jesus hears the cry and it says Jesus does one thing. Jesus stopped. He stood still. He didn't keep moving forward. He stopped exactly where he was to hear the cry of the man on the road and has him brought close to him. And he simply asks him, what do you want me to do? Hear me on this. In the middle of the chaos, in the middle of all the things that were happening, Jesus stopped to listen to Bart. How often do we cry out and do we need to hear God ask us to draw close to him? through the shoutings of this world. Here's the reality. I think some of us can identify with Bart today. We know who Jesus is. We trust who Jesus is. But it seems like the shoutings of the current events that we see, that we hear, that we face each and every day are just too loud. What about the shoutings of the bills piling up on the counter right now? We don't know how we're going to pay it. We don't know what's going to get paid and what's not going to get paid. But the shoutings of those bills are getting louder and louder and louder, and they're growing. What about the shoutings of the diagnosis? The diagnosis of, of you have cancer, or the diagnosis of we don't know how to cure this, or Let's just be real. We don't even know what's going on. The diagnosis, the shouting is getting louder and more intense each and every day, and it's almost overwhelming. The shoutings of that broken relationship. There seems no hope in sight to heal it. There's no way that we can reconcile. The shoutings of this broken relationship is drowning out everything else around me. The shouting seems so loud. As we see everything else in our world just keep flying by. Everything is screaming, but yet Jesus stops. And he turns and he gets close to Bart and close to us. And he simply asks, what do you want me to do? See, <clears throat> Most people in those days would look at Bart as a beggar, this blind beggar, and see him as one thing and one thing only, an issue. That man's an issue. And not an important issue. He's just an issue. But Jesus looks at Bart, and he doesn't see an issue, but Jesus rather sees him as an important person. 
Jesus doesn't look at him as an issue. He sees him as a person. And Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do? He basically is saying, what are you searching for in life? I often wonder, as I read this story, I often wonder if I put myself in Bart's shoes, how many times do I not ask? Bart could have been sitting there. Uh, Jesus the Nazarene is passing by. I've heard a lot about him. Uh, but it sounds like there's a lot of people. I'll just keep quiet. He could never have asked to have mercy on me. He could never have shouted. So often in our lives, we don't ask. And so often we also don't answer. Jesus asked Bart a, a specific question here. What do you want? And this is what it goes on to say, 42 and 43. <clears throat> All right. Receive your sight. The end of 41, I, I didn't read, sorry. He says, Lord, I want to see. That's what Bart says. So 42 goes, Jesus said, All right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And instantly, Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it praised God too. Here's what's interesting. Jesus asked a question, what do you want? And Bart responded, I want to see. And it says, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. So Bart had faith that he wanted to get close to Jesus. He had faith that he knew who Jesus was. He had faith that he could ask from Jesus this impossible thing. Faith that he could tell Jesus exactly what he wanted. Faith to call Jesus Lord. Faith that being near Jesus and not just the crowd, that Bart could get what he was asking and seeking. Bart had faith even in the thing he could not see. The person he could not see. Bart had faith. See, miracles happen. This miracle happens. The blind man follows Jesus and he's worshiping Jesus the rest of the way. Here's what's so intriguing about this. The way of Jesus became his way. The way of Jesus became his way. It says after that, he gets his sight back. And it says immediately, he, he received his sight and he followed Jesus. Let's take a moment here and pause in the story to realize what this means. He gets his sight back. He sees the man who just healed him. And not only does he worship, but he follows him. His life became tied to Jesus in his ways. He got closer to Jesus than he did to the crowds and transformation happened. Jesus was just passing through this town, remember, on his way to a different city, Jerusalem. Do you remember what happens in that next city? Do you remember that as Jesus was just passing through and he heals his blind man, the next few Days, 
Jesus would die. He was on his way to another city, Jerusalem, to die. But Bart would follow him. The one who brought life changed Jesus, Bart is going to follow him. And it says that he followed him. Why? Because he wanted to be near Jesus, not the crowds. Because at the end of the day, is it, it's not enough. It isn't enough to be around the people who are around Jesus. It isn't enough to be around people who are around Jesus. We need to be around Jesus himself. It wasn't enough for, Jesus, for, for Bart to sit on the side of the road and just be around the people who are around Jesus. He wanted and needed to be right next to him. It isn't enough to settle and be around the people who are around Jesus. We need to be around Jesus himself. Lately, um, we made the bold decision to um, move our oldest into a big boy bed. And that also meant moving him into another room. And his favorite thing right now, Kenny, is bedtime stories. We... uh, I usually put Kenny to bed, and Courtney usually puts um, our, our youngest one to bed. And when I go and put Kenny to bed, he, you know, Dad, Dad, sit with me. Dad, Dad, sit with me. Okay, okay, and we'll read a book, and then it's like, all right, Daddy's, Daddy's going to go upstairs now. Oh, Dad, can you tell me a, can you tell me a story? And he's got those big, beautiful brown eyes that you're just like, I guess I'll sit here all night telling stories, right? Um, So bedtime stories. But his favorite stories are the ones at the beach or the ones at the lake. Dad, tell me the story of the cottage. Dad, tell me the story of the beach. Dad, tell me the story of the boats. Tell me the stories of the water. And I remember, I remember the first time we took Kendrick up to our cottage and um, this little, beautiful child was terrified of the water. He was so nervous. He, He honestly wouldn't get in. And, and I remember watching as all these boats go by and they create this little wake. And so, you know, these little, like, little, little waves, right, would come, come in and he'd hear it hit against the seawall at the cottage. Or if we were down by the beach, he could see him roll all the way up and he'd stick his little toes in there and he'd touch him and he'd scream because his feet got wet. He was so nervous. But we, when we first took him, we told him all the good things about the lake, right? Oh, Kevin, you can go swimming in the water. We can go fishing. 
and we can go tubing, and maybe you can one day learn to water ski, and you can learn to swim yourself. You tell all these stories, and you, you go to the beach, and you see all these kids, right? And as I grow older, I see all these teenagers still drunk, jumping off the pier, and I'm like, you guys know there could be rocks down there, and I'm like, oh my word, I sound like a parent, but you tell all these stories and you can tell all about the good things. But they don't understand it until they experience it. They don't understand it until they experience it. And so like this past summer, Kenny could not get in the water quick enough. He was jumping off the boat and climbing back up to jump back in. He was jumping in the lake. Kenny could not get out of the water. He loved it so much. He went from being nervous and just hearing about the stories to experiencing the stories himself. And so now when I tell bedtime stories of, oh, you know, and I'll tell the one story. And after, like, I'm halfway through and I'm almost done with the story and I'm about to say the end, give him a kiss and leave. He goes, no, Dad, that's wrong. No, no. I didn't jump from the back. I jumped from the front. Okay, kid. Right? Because here's the reality. Here's the reality. He knew about the lake. He knew about the water and all the fun that you could have. But he had only heard about it. But he never truly knew what it was like to swim in the water. He never knew what it was like to swim in the lake. He never knew what it was like to ride a wave on a little float until he got in the water and experienced it himself. Now he can't stop talking about it. You see... I think there's a difference between us knowing and actually knowing something because we've experienced it. What's intriguing here is that when Jesus says that your faith has healed you, the Greek word of faith, or sorry, the Greek word of, for healed, it also means being delivered from or salvation. See, Jesus performs a miracle in the sense that this blind man can now see. That's amazing. Imagine not being able to see anything, not being able to see a face, not being able to see the sunshine, the, the colors. And now this man can see. Miracle. But I think the greater miracle is not the physical one. But what about that internal miracle that now this blind spiritual man can see the one true light of the world? Physically, he can see, but spiritually, he can see the goodness of God. But what could have been? What could have been if Bart set his sights too low? And Jesus asked him, what do you want? What if he, sight, he, he set his sight too low and he just wanted money? What if Bart set his sight too low and he just wanted peace? <clears throat> what if Bart wanted not to see, but rather he set his sight too low and just wanted food? What if he set his sights too low? 
What about us? Do we set our sights too low? Does the blindness in the story, could this possibly be a metaphor in today's life of of maybe our unwillingness to recognize whatever wounds, whatever hurts and diseases, diseases keep us from recognizing God in his presence in our lives? Do we set our sights too low when Jesus asks us, what do you want? Is our sight too low and just, I just, I just want more money, God. Is our sight too low and we just say, would you just help me get more comfort in life, God? Is our sight too low and we just say, God, I just want a better job. Is our sight too low when God asks us, what do you want in life? What can I do for you? When God stands there, when Jesus stops in the middle of the chaos and he looks at us in the eye and he says, what do you want from me? Is our sights too low? Is our sights too low? Or do we say to him, I want to see like I've never seen before. I want to, I want to see you like I've never seen before. I need a, a spiritual healing like I've never had before. God asks us, what do you want from me? Because Jesus stops. And he hears us. He sees us. Above the shoutings of the world, above the screams and the chaos, Jesus stops because he sees you and he hears you crying out. It's not enough just to be around the people who are around him. We need to be around Jesus himself. Because here's the bottom line reality. One can do miracles, but the other one can only talk about them. Jesus can do the miracle, but the people around him can only talk about him right now. So maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe this week, you've been shouting out for God. And maybe you've been questioning, do you hear me? Are you listening? And maybe you felt like you've been rebuked and told to just stay quiet. He's too busy right now. He's got a few things to work on coming up on November 3, if you know what I'm saying. He's just too busy to deal with your heart right now. Maybe, just maybe. You need to be reminded that Jesus stops and he hears you as clear as can be. And he's asking you, what do you see? So maybe today you need to answer. Father, I pray that you would allow us, Lord, the boldness to ask. To ask those bold, bold uh, requests, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you give us the courage to ask, knowing that you are God and nothing's impossible with you. And Father, for those of us who maybe have felt like we are We've just been blinded by the things of this world or or blinded by our spiritualness, whatever it might be, Lord. We ask that today that you would perform the miracle of, of giving us a spiritual sight, a new sight to see you 
in all that you do. We want to be near you, Lord. We want to be next to you, Lord. Invite us, draw us close, and let us just cling on to you and walk with you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.